You are listening to audio from First Baptist Church in Fort Walton Beach. If you would like more resources or to watch our service online, please visit fbcfwb.org. Listen in as Pastor Wade helps us abide in Christ and advance the gospel through the teaching and the proclamation of God's Word. I've spent a lot of time driving on the interstate. And I find it helpful to notice the mile markers as I travel. The mile markers are indicators that I'm getting closer and closer to my destination. They let me know I am heading in the right direction. I am making progress. So I appreciate those mile markers. Well, last week we began a sermon series titled The Twelve Stones Initiative, where I began to lay out for you some mile markers, some goals that are under the umbrella of our church vision. That as we see God help us to reach them, we can know that we're making progress. We can know that we are moving forward. And because God's the one that's got to do it, when we recognize that milestone, we give Him the glory for it. That's what this 12 Stones initiative is about. So keeping that in mind, I want you to turn back with me to Joshua chapter 4. Joshua chapter 4. We'll begin reading in verse 20 near the end of that chapter. When you found your place, I want to ask you this morning, if you're physically able, to please stand with me in honor of the reading of God's Word. Now you know our usual custom is we preach through books. So we're going to finish this sermon series in a few more weeks. We're going to get through Easter And then we're going to begin a study in the small little New Testament book of Jude. The next to last book of the Bible. And then after Jude, we're going to start 1 Kings. So I'm excited about those studies that are upcoming. But I am thrilled about this 12 Stones uh, series and sharing with you some, some exciting things to look forward to. So look there with me. Joshua chapter 4, verse 20. Actually, back up to verse 19. The people came up out of the Jordan on the tenth day of the first month, and they encamped at Gilgal on the east border of Jericho. And those twelve stones which they took out of the Jordan, Joshua set up at Gilgal. And he said to the people of Israel, When your children ask their fathers in times to come, what do these stones mean? Then you shall let your children know. Israel passed over this Jordan on dry ground. For the Lord your God dried up the waters of the Jordan for you until you passed over as the Lord your God did to the Red Sea, which he dried up for us until we passed over, so that all the peoples of the earth may know that the hand of the Lord is mighty, that you may fear the Lord your God forever. Let's pray together this morning. Father, we pause in this moment 
to recognize our need for you. We believe that all is vain unless the Spirit of the Holy One comes down. So Holy Spirit, would you grant us the gifts this morning of illumination. Give us understanding and insight into your word. And would you grant us the gift of inclination. Would you incline our hearts to respond to what you show us. Would you incline our hearts to obedience. Well, Thank you for that grace. Lord, it is an immeasurable grace that we get to get together Sunday after Sunday after Sunday and sing praises to King Jesus and to fellowship around the living Word of God. I was reminded even this morning, Lord, that man does not live by bread alone but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Would you feed us this morning with the bread of life? Transform us, change us for the glory and fame of your great name. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. As we saw last week, the Lord miraculously parted the Jordan River to allow the nation of Israel to go into the land promised to His people. We said a lot about that last week, but we focused in on the fact that God told them to take 12 stones out of the Jordan River as they were crossing and then to set up a monument to remind the people of Israel of this great work he had accomplished, this great miracle of parting the Jordan River. So we gleaned from that, and this is in your notes, that God desires that his people remember his power and grace for their good and for his glory. We, we see all throughout the scripture, God is telling his people, remember what I've done. And that was the purpose of the 12 stones that Joshua led the people of Israel to set up in the promised land. To remember God's power, to remember God's favor, to remember God's blessing, to remember God's grace. So they would give him the glory he deserves. And that is the purpose of this 12 stones initiative. The 12 stones initiative is designed to commemorate the work of God performed through his people who takes steps of obedient faith. So I am sharing with you 12 stones, 12 mileposts, 12 markers, 12 goals that we're asking God to help us to reach. And every time we reach one of those goals, we're going to take a literal stone and put it on the stage. When we reach another one, we'll stack it on top of that first stone. And we're going to build on that stack until we get to 12 stones. And when we look at that stack of 12 stones, it will be a reminder to us of the faithfulness of God and the power of God, and we will give Him the glory. So we began last week, stones one through four. I told you last week our first stone is to enter into strategic partnerships in all eight International Mission Board affinities. We talked a lot about that last week. 
Stone two, we want to plant a church directly from our church, training a church planter and sending that planter out. Stone three, we want to send out five short-term mission teams per year. When we get to five in one year, we'll, we'll put a stone on the stage. We want to give $250,000 combined to the Lottie Moon Christmas offering, the Annie Armstrong Easter offering, and the McGuire State Missions offering to, to reach Florida and North America and the very ends of the earth with the gospel. And when we get to a quarter of a million, when we give that amount, we'll say praise the Lord and we'll put a stone on the stage. Those were the, the first four stones. And I've got five I want to share with you this morning, five more stones that are exciting and compelling and challenging. They will require that God does something. These are not goals that we reach in and of our own strength. We need God's help. And so, let's talk about stone number five. Stone number five is this. We want to establish five gospel-centered community partnerships. Now, last week we talked about the ends of the earth. Now we're going to bring it in a little bit as we learn in Acts 1, verse 8, that we want to be witnesses at the ends of the earth, but also in our Jerusalem, in our Judea, in our Samaria. And we want to establish these five gospel-centered community partnerships. Now, keeping that in mind, I want you to turn with me to Acts chapter 2. Acts Chapter 2. I'm going to have you turn a little bit this morning. So just stay with me. Acts chapter 2, verse 42. I never get tired of reading this passage of Scripture. The context is this. On the day of Pentecost, after Jesus had ascended back to the Father, following His death, His burial, His resurrection, the Holy Spirit fell upon the followers of Jesus, about 120 in the upper room. And they were empowered by the Holy Spirit. And they began to preach the gospel. In fact, Peter stood up and preached a wonderful sermon found in uh, chapter 2, preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. And when Peter gave the invitation, when he called people to respond, in fact, he was responding to their question, they said, what should we do? In light of this gospel, what, what should we do? How should we respond? And, and, and Peter calls them to repent and be baptized and become followers of Christ. And the Bible records not 1,000 decisions to follow Christ. Not 2,000 decisions to follow Christ. The Bible records 3,000 souls began to follow Christ on that day. That would have been a good day, amen? And in verses 42 through 47, we see what happens with this explosive growth in the church in Jerusalem. It says there in verse 42, they, those who were saved, the other disciples of Christ, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. They were learning the word of God together. The fellowship, they were getting together, the breaking of bread, they were celebrating communion together, and the prayers. They were gathering together to encourage one another. And it says, awe came upon every soul, and many, many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed together 
and had, uh, were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distri- distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God, having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. What a passage of Scripture to talk about how the, the church in Jerusalem was, was growing and expanding and making disciples after the day of Pentecost. But I want you to notice two phrases related to stone number five, establishing five gospel-centered community partnerships. I want you to notice the phrase, helping others. Helping others. It says there that they were... They were uh, they were selling their possessions and, and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. So they were helping others. And then in verse 47 it says, they were having favor with all the people. So this, this explosive growth resulted in followers of Christ that in a very natural way, following their Savior and Lord they began to invest in others. They began to help others. They began to gather resources, even selling their own things to be able to help others. And and this made an impact in their community. It says they were having favor with all the people. In other words, the Christians in Jerusalem were making a difference right where they were, right where God had placed them. I told you last week that our logo has waves on it, and the waves are a reminder that our ministry begins right here in Fort Walton Beach, right here in the Emerald Coast area, right here on the Panhandle. God has put us here, and he's put us here to make a difference, and that means we want to help others, and we want to have favor with all the people And so we want to establish five gospel-centered community partnerships. And we're looking at what that might entail. We want to be a blessing to the schools. We want to invest in medical and dental care for those that are underprivileged. We want to be involved in crisis pregnancy. We want to be involved in helping families that want to foster. We want to be involved in jail ministry. We want to be involved in gospel-centered homeless ministry. We want to be involved in recovery ministry for those who are in addiction and bondage. There, There are a lot of ways we want to impact this area. And so here's what that means. It means more than just giving money. I could tell you some organizations and ministries we give money to and say, hey, we already reached this. There are five groups we give money to. That's not what I'm talking about, even though it will entail giving money and supporting these ministries. But it also means that we invest at a level we are sending volunteers to be a part of the strategy. And we want to make sure that their strategy, listen, is enabling us to actually share the gospel in our community. To actually point people to Jesus. As we help them with physical needs, temporal needs, we want to point them to their greatest need, which is salvation in Jesus Christ. Amen? 
And so we want to have that level of partnership. And we're investigating that and looking into that and, and trying to shore that up. And as we establish these partnerships, we will celebrate those. And we get the five that we're giving to and investing in sending people. And we're praying over those ministries. Then we will celebrate when we get to five and put a stone on the stage. So pray that God would lead and guide in that venture. Five gospel-centered community partnerships. Number six, stone number six. There's a big one. We want to baptize 100 people in one year. 100 people in one year. Look what it says back in Acts chapter 2, verse 47. The Bible says the, the church was praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. That verse means that people were getting saved every day in the life of the church in Jerusalem. Every time I read through the book of Acts, every time I read chapter 2, verse 47 jumps off the page. In fact, I've been praying something for a long time. It's on my prayer app, and I pray it regularly. As I read this verse and thought about it years and years ago, I thought, what would it be like to be a part of a ministry, a church, that's seeing people saved every single day? I mean, do the math. That means you'd average 365 people saved in a year. Amen? How, can, you, can you imagine what a game changer that would be? People are coming to faith in Christ. I mean, awakening, families being changed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so I've been praying for a long time. God, sometime in my lifetime, would you allow me to be a part of a ministry that sees 365 people saved in a year? To be involved in that level of awakening and, 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 and the movement of the gospel in a community? I'd love to see that. So 365 is what I've been praying for. But I thought, you know what? When we get to 100, we'll stop and celebrate. We'll stop and celebrate because 100 would be significant, right? 100 people in one year saved, baptized, incorporated in the life of the church. That would be huge. So as we do ministry, preach the gospel, share the gospel, when we baptize 100 people in one calendar year, we'll put a stone on the stage and celebrate our God who is mighty to save. We will celebrate the gospel, which is the power of God into salvation to everyone who believes, the Jew first and also the Greek. So we've got some, some ways we're going to pursue that so we can be instruments in the hands of God. First of all, we're going to re-emphasize the Hoosier One initiative. We did this years ago. And what that entails is we give you a, a, a bookmarked little piece of paper called Hoosier One. And you'll write down on that piece of paper at least one person you're praying for to come to faith in Christ. And you'll begin to pray scriptures over them and pray for them regularly to, to see their need for a Savior and pray for opportunity to share Christ with them. And you'll look for opportunities to talk to them about Christ. And the goal is that you see that person saved. You say, what happens when your one is saved? You write down another one. Amen? Who's your one? 
Now here's the neat thing. We haven't emphasized this in a, in a few years. We did this early on when I got here. I think it was 2019 when we first rolled out Hoosier One. And we, and we haven't talked about it much lately. But now, several years down the road, more and more of you are coming to me and telling me that your one got saved. After years of prayer, after years of concern over that loved one's spiritual condition, we're actually seeing these folks saved. So we're going to reemphasize that soon. We'll give you some bookmarks and we're going to ask you to begin to pray specifically over at least one person you want to see come to faith in Christ. Give you that focus. Also, we're going to provide for you in the coming months some training for gospel conversations. We've done evangelism training in the past. We're going to do some more. We're going to, we're going to instruct you and teach you and encourage you to, to just talk about the gospel in the flow of your life. Talk about Jesus in the day-in, day-out routines of life. We're going to train you to have gospel conversations. And we're also going to encourage personal invitation coming up this Easter Sunday. In March, end of March. We know that today where a lot of people who are unchurched may come to church. So we're going to give you some, some little cards to hand out. We're going to ask you to invite, invite, invite that people might come on Easter Sunday and hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. I read a survey years and years ago by Tom Rainer, and they, they interviewed thousands of unchurched people And 8 out of 10 of those people surveyed said they are at least somewhat likely to come to church if personally invited. 8 out of 10. Think about that. And so we're going to encourage you to continue to invite people to church to come and be around the body of Christ and hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. We get to... To 100 people baptized in one year, we'll put a stone on the stage. Stone number seven, I'm moving quickly, I know. But stone number seven is this. We want to double our adult Bible studies. Right now, our Bible studies meet at 9 o'clock on our campus. And the Bible studies are opportunities for us to get in smaller groups, to get out of the crowd of the 1030 sanctuary, a lot of folks in here. We get into smaller groups and we build relationships and we learn God's word together. Bible studies are where you get to know some folks in the life of the church. Bible studies where you are encouraged by others. And and, and Bible study gives you opportunity to pray for others and care for others. Have others care for you and pray for you. Our Bible studies are of utmost importance. We don't want you to get lost in the crowd And our our primary connection point for you is in the 9 o'clock Bible study hour. Right now we have 12 Bible studies, adult Bible studies. So we want to double that and get to 24. So when we get to 24 Bible studies, we will put a stone on the stage. And I believe that small group gathering is important. Look back with me in Acts chapter 2. Look what it says in verse 46. It says, day by day they were attending the temple together. So they were going to this large structure to worship and hear the teaching of the apostles. They, they, that was their going to church, if you will. But look what it says next. 
it says they were attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes. So they would go in a big group to worship and then divide up into smaller groups that met in people's homes. That's where connection and relationship happens. Our Bible studies are connection points and ministry points. Now here's how we're going to do that by God's grace. First of all, we've got to train more teachers. We're going to provide training for uh, up-and-coming teachers, teachers that want, to, that want to be involved in leading a Bible study. We're going to train those teachers. And it's going to mean that we start new classes to, to get more people plugged in and more people involved. And that's going to mean, as we start new classes, that's going to mean that we have to provide the space. Because I'm just talking about adult Bible studies. As these Bible studies grow, guess what else is going to grow? Our student Bible study is going to grow. They're going to need more space. They're going to have to start more classes. In fact, it's kind of amusing. This past week, we, we had ordered some new chairs for the youth area. We ordered 50 new chairs. They're great. They're in their worship space. They showed up this week. We unboxed them, got them uh, moved up to their worship area. The chairs are laid out. 50 brand new chairs. You know how many we had in youth this morning? 52. 52. We're going to have to order more chairs. And so as our adult Bible studies expand, the students are going to expand, our children's ministry is going to expand, we're going to have more preschoolers. It's already growing right now. We need more helpers, need more work, workers working in those age-graded areas. So we're going to have to provide some more space. So wait, what does that look like? I don't know. It's going to at least, to get to this goal, mean that we have another Bible study hour, which will also entail probably another worship service hour. To just free up more space to have that level of ministry. See, Pastor Wade, when that going to happen? Don't know. We're going to ask the Lord to show us and give us wisdom in that. But here's what I do know. I do know if a church will make it a focus to start new small groups, that church will grow. I've seen it happen through my entire ministry. In fact, let me give you a story about what, hap what happened here at First Baptist. My wife and I have been leading a Bible study at 9 o'clock. And that Bible study ha has grown over time. And, and we were seeing about 20 people, 25 people on a really good Sunday. We might have high 20s in that Bible study. And our room would feel full. And it was a great Bible study. But we saw a need to kind of segment a little bit based upon uh, ages in the class. So a few weeks ago, we started a brand new class. Uh, I took a group, went to another room. Another group stayed behind in that room. We kind of divided it by age. 35 and under stayed in the room where we were. I took 35 and up with me. So we started a brand new class from that one class. And last Sunday, now listen to me, last Sunday... We had 19 in each class. Now do the math. How many is that? 38. 38 is more than 25. Isn't that funny how that works? And it happens. It happens. But you've got to have the vision to say, I want my class to be a part of that. 
I want to be a part of starting new classes to reach more people for the glory of God and the sake of the gospel. I heard a pastor, well-known pastor, you would probably know his name if I said it, at a large church. He told me that his uh, education pastor had had a meeting with the Sunday school leaders in his church. And he didn't know anything about the, the meeting. He just knew they had the meeting. Well, in the meeting, the education pastor laid out the vision of starting new classes. And he was talking about multiplication. What the people heard was, you want to split my class. And the pastor had no idea this conversation was going on. He said he had finished with church that night. He was walking in the hallway. He was tired. And he said, this guy comes barreling up to him in the hallway. And he said, you'll split my class over my dead body. Now, no question that gentleman loves his class. But look at me, look at me. What about the kingdom? What about the kingdom? Can I tell you something that's happened as we started two new classes? There are people that were in a class of 25, 26, 27 who would not share in a group that big. But now in the smaller classes, they're, they're talking, they're sharing, they're, they're contributing to the conversation. That's what needs to happen if we're going to start 24 or get to 24 Bible studies as a church family. Train teachers, start new units, provide space. The rest of the story is that gentleman died the next week. True story. Over my dead body, you'll start a new class in this church from my class. Don't ever, don't ever find yourself standing against kingdom expansion. That's a dangerous place to be. That's not my story. That's his story. Okay, I'm just telling you. But it really happened. Stone number eight. Stone number eight. We want to see a fourth generation D group formed. Turn over to 2 Timothy chapter 2 with me. 2 Timothy chapter 2. Book of 2 Timothy, the New Testament. Chapter 2, verse 2. I love this verse. Paul writing to his protege, young Timothy, says this. What you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Now there are four generations in this one verse. There's Paul saying, I pass on some things to you, Timothy. So Paul's the first generation. Timothy's the second generation. He says, Timothy, I want you to pass on what you've heard from me to other witnesses. That's the third generation. But he says, I want you to pass it on in such a way that they can then teach others also. That's the fourth generation. Four generations in one verse. So they're making disciples, investing in these disciple uh, relationships. As they pass on how to follow Jesus to one, they encourage that person to pass on how to follow Jesus to another and teach him how to pass it on to another at four generations. Now, we have something in our church called D-groups. 
And the D stands for discipleship. This is a, our discipleship strategy. We want to get more and more people involved. It's, uh, D groups are a group of people that is about three to five people in size, gender specific. And you're meeting with this group week after week to talk about what God's teaching you through your word. You're checking on each other, holding each other accountable. And the goal is that after you've been in your D group for a year, then you leave that group and go start a new group. So that more people can have that level of discipleship and focus in their lives. Let me show you real quick a graphic about D groups to kind of give you a visual of what uh, this looks like. We talk about a fourth generation D group. So um, you see there Michael, Wade, and Ryan. All those are made up names except for mine, I guess. So Michael, Wade, and Ryan uh, in a D group and Sam there meeting with him. But Sam does something after we meet for a year. Sam goes and starts his own D group with Daniel and Joshua. Everybody see that? Daniel and Joshua. And that would be the second generation because Sam was in my D group. Now he goes and starts his own D group. And then Daniel and Joshua, they began uh, their own D group. So look what there. See, Joshua, second generation. He starts with Joe, Jacob, Russell, and Jared. So that's a third generation of people being invested in for the purpose of discipleship and spiritual growth. But then Jacob says, I'm going to start a D group. He starts with Aaron, Steve, and Randy. Aaron, Steve, and Randy represent the fourth generation of discipleship. So right now we're at about two generations. We're we're going to reemphasize here in the next month the need for folks to get plugged into a D group. This is our time to get people enlisted and get new D groups started. You'll hear more about that in the very near future. But the goal is that we get to the fourth generation. Now here's what will what, happen. Aaron, Steve, and Randy may have no idea who Wade is. Wouldn't that be cool? Because listen, discipleship is not about Wade. It's about Who? Jesus! But they know that someone's investing in them. And when that, when that discipleship begins to happen and new groups begin to start and people are invested in that level, you see the gospel move forward in powerful ways. Fourth generation deep groups. So when we get to our fourth generation, we're tracking this. We've got some solid second gen. So those that are finishing up their, their, their D group, some of those are going to start a new D group, will be at third generation. We get to four, we'll put a stone on the stage. So you know I'm, I'm an FSU fan. I was uh, home over Christmas, and my son uh, Connor and I were looking at some old photo albums in my dad's house that my mom had put together. And we found some old pictures of me, just a little guy with FSU gear on, standing at Dope Campbell Stadium. And uh, it started for me when I was very, very young. My, my parents were FSU grads, season ticket holders. It's, it's my earliest memories of family activity was going to FSU games. And so mom and dad, FSU, second generation, Wade, FSU. Guess what? Third generation, my kids, FSU. There's no option. No option. You say... How do you explain three generations of FSU fans? Here's the word. You ready? Intentionality. <laughs> my parents were intentional. I've been intentional. And if, if my kids will obey their dad, they'll be intentional. 
And, and hopefully soon we'll have some grandbabies that are FSU fans. Fourth generation. Amen? That's the goal. Intentionality. And if we're going to get to four generations of D groups, we've got to be intentional. We've got to, we've got to work toward this end by God's strength and for God's glory. Which leads me to stone number nine. I'm going to do this we'll be through. I know I'm giving you a lot of information. We'll reemphasize this. You'll hear all this again in different formats. But I just want to kind of lay it out for you. Stone number nine. We're asking God to help us to reach 1,000 in worship attendance. 1,000 in worship attendance. Basically double of where we are. 1,000 in worship attendance. Look over at Acts chapter 4. We saw the day of Pentecost. We saw... 3,000 people saved, but look in Acts chapter 4, verse 1. The Bible here speaks of Peter and John preaching the gospel under duress, under hostility. Since they were speaking speaking to the people, the priest and the captain of the temple, and the Sadducees, religious leaders, came upon them greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of the men came to about, how many? 5,000 people. I just want to show you that verse to show you the explosive growth of the church in Jerusalem. One day you got 3,000 Another day, even under hostility, 5,000 people are converted. And I'm just saying to you that if God blesses us and sends us folks and we do our job to reach out and love people and plug them in, if we get to 1,000 worshipers on this campus, I think it's significant. We ought to stop and say, praise the Lord. We'll put a stone on the stack and say, a thousand people? Wow! Look what you have done, God. Now, through the years, I've had people comment, I don't know, we should count numbers. Well, somebody was counting in Acts 4. Amen? Somebody counted. There are 5,000 people. Oh, and by the way, there's a book called Numbers. Just throwing that out there. Throwing it out there. Now, I get what's being said. We don't want numbers to be an idol. We don't want to, we don't want to sacrifice church, growth, church health and spiritual growth for the purpose of, of numerical growth. I get that. We want to do things biblically and in the right way and be faithful to Jesus. So we're not going to put on some dog and pony show to try to get people that violates the, the dictates of Scripture. We're going to preach the gospel, worship Jesus, invite people, make a big deal about the Lord, and ask God to give us 1,000 people in worship. And here's the deal about 1,000 people. This didn't come from Mount Sinai, but I thought it's a worthy goal to celebrate because 1,000 people means 1,000 souls gathered together where Jesus is the center of it all. And that's a big deal. It's a big deal in terms of the population of our community. That's a a, a strong percentage of people worshiping here in the Fort Walton Beach 
community. And so we want to reach 1,000 in worship attendance. Hey, we may reach that on Easter Sunday. I don't know. If you invite folks, we're basically double what we have now. If you invite somebody, we may reach this, this in March. We'll put a stone on the stage, right? I don't know when we'll reach this. There's been some discussion, by the way, which stone we'll get to first. What will be the first stone on the stage? It may be this one. God may send us a thousand people in worship and we will praise His great name. Now, that's probably going to mean to sustain a thousand in worship, we're going to have more than one service. Because you got parking realities, you got Bible study room realities, you got nursery and preschool and children space realities. So to, to get to 1,000 consistently, we'll probably need two services to get there. And we'll just follow the Lord's lead in all of that and, and take it as it comes. But when we get 1,000 worshipers on this campus, we will stop and say, look at what God has done. We will give Him the glory. That's stone number nine. Now the last three stones, is going to take me one sermon per stone. Okay, It's going to take some time, those last Three, and we'll begin uh, by looking at stone number 10 next week. But I, I want to close with, with a quote. We've talked about five gospel-centered community partnerships. We've talked about baptizing 100 people in a year, doubling our adult Bible studies, seeing a fourth-generation D-group formed, reaching 1,000 in worship attendance. That's big stuff, big stuff. I mean, it's going to take supernatural power from the Lord to see these things come to pass. I was reading a, a book this, this uh, past week by Jim Cimbala. I read this quote, and again, it jumped off the page at me. I have it highlighted. And I want to share it with you. And this, this quote is in line with the song we sang earlier, Same God, the same God of Moses and David and Mary is the same God we serve today. And Cimbala made this comment. Are so-called experts saying God can't do today what he did before? This is the cancer eating away at the vitals of Christian churches. Listen. Unbelief in the power of Christ for today. And for us to see stones on this stage as we pray, as we labor by the power of the Spirit for the glory of Christ, we've got to settle some things in our heart. One of those being, we believe you can do it, God. You're the same God, the same God that saved 3,000, then 5,000 next. The same God saving people every single day in Jerusalem. You're the same God we believe that if we will place our church in your sovereign hands and call upon your name and ask you to do these things, you can do it. Let us not be hindered and hampered by unbelief in the power of Christ for today. Thank you for listening. We pray you've been encouraged and inspired by God's Word. May the Lord richly bless you.